Warning, this episode contains spoilers, coarse language, and evidence of deep, penetrating wounds into each ocular orbit. I guess that would be for Dana. <laughs> what? No, made to fail Dana because he constantly breaks her. Ah, uh, I see. <laughs> done the first time it's not broken stop trying to smash it i'm always intrigued to see what it is that people are going to do with something that's already been done before i hate remakes i love remakes Welcome, everybody, to episode 12 of I Hate Love Remakes. I am Noel. Joining me, as always, is Evie. I need to get stupid, Noel. I'm getting all the blood to rush to my head and watching a marathon of Two and a Half Men. Why? Well, because we're going to be talking about The Fog and then The Fog remake. What does that have to do with Two and a Half Men? Well, it helps me get stupid. <laughs> Just go with it. Okay. <laughs> Joining us today once again is our resident illustrator, Dana. Hello, everyone, for the third time. <laughs> yes, for the third time, and you've been on two of our top three most popular episodes. Yay me! Clash of the Titans and Village of the, Village of the Dam we just did a couple months ago, and it's already shot up to our third most popular episode. See, I think we figured out the formula, though, of what creates one of your top episodes. Your boobs? Other than my boobs. Well, because what was the other top episode? Psycho, guest starring Dana from Made of Fail. See, it's all with the name. It's all about the Danas. Yep, because we're <laughs> awesome. Or it could just be all the Made of Fail fans mistake you for her. Oh, don't tell her that. No, no, no honey, no. It's it, it's because of um, your, no, your it, rack. It's your rack. Hey, my rack is spoken of on the internet. It's true. It has been, <laughs> yes. Evie mentions it regularly. She does. <laughs> uh. I regret nothing. No, <laughs> no, you don't. Neither do all the boob grazes. <laughs> and yet I'm the one who's appeared topless online at least twice. Mm. Well, I am a lady-ish, I guess. I don't know. And I have a boyfriend who would probably not approve of that. And I'm a desperate person who takes his shirt off for cameras. Nice. And for candy. No, I never got candy. All I got was made of fails, Dana <laughs> no, breaking. No, you gotta, like, hold out for the good stuff. Well, I haven't taken my pants off yet, so but let's move on. That's that's good because pantsless recording is not cool. No. Well, how would anyone know? Evie, put your pants back on. I'm probably wearing pants. Liar. There's at least a seventy thirty shot. <laughs> yeah, they're velour. They're my velour pants. Okay, as long as they're your velour pants, then it's okay. It's the velour pants with the bedazzled peace sign on the hip. Ah, those ones. Love those. So, Evie, you want to tell us what we're covering in this episode? No, I don't, but I will. <laughs> um, we are doing the John Carpenter film The Fog from 1980. And then in part two, we'll be covering The Fog remake from 2005, directed by some guy. <laughs> we might as well go ahead and dive into a synopsis. The night before the California fishing town of Antonio Bay is about to celebrate its centennial, strange phenomena occurs around the town in the form of electronics switching on and off, objects moving, and glass shattering. While driving into town, grizzled resident Nick Castle picks up Elizabeth Solly, a young artist hitchhiking her way up the coast. As they ride along, all the windows of his truck suddenly shatter, leaving the two stunned and confused. Out on the waters, a thick glowing fog moves against the wind and envelops a fishing boat. The three fishermen on board catch sight of a rotted old clipper passing in the mist before they're violently attacked by shadowy figures. The next day, Nick and Elizabeth awaken from the night they shared in his bed. Nick learns the fishing boat and his friend on board have gone missing, so he and Elizabeth join the search to locate it. They find the boat, covered inside and out in seawater condensation and rust. Two of the fishermen have vanished without a trace. The third is found dead, his eyes gouged out. When they take the body in, the coroner tells them the decomposition is weeks old, which is impossible for a body so recently killed. 
the body briefly stands up and walks towards Elizabeth, then nothing again happens from that plot thread. Stevie Wayne is a local radio DJ operating out of an old lighthouse she bought on the coast. That morning, her son Andy found a piece of driftwood on the beach. She brings it with her to work and sets it aside. Water pours from the wood, mangling the audio of her equipment. The word Dane, written on its side, changes to six must die before it bursts into flames. Stevie puts out the fire, only to discover everything is normal and untouched as if nothing had happened. Kathy Williams is the wife of one of the fishermen who went missing, and she pushes past her grief to focus on the town's centennial benediction ceremony, for which she was the guiding force in arranging. Kathy and her assistant Sandy stop by the local church to pick up Father Malone, but he's drunk and gloomy and shares with them a diary he found hidden in the church wall the night before. It tells the story of the Dane, the passengers of which were looking to settle on a patch of land sold to them by the men now recognized as the town founders of Antonio Bay. Because the settlers on the Dane were, in reality, a leper colony, the founders set up a false light that would guide the ship into rocks. The ship sank, everyone died, and the founders used the gold plundered from the ship to build the town. Kathy refuses to believe the story after all the hard work she's put into the celebration. That night, the celebration begins. The first to die is a local weatherman who shared a bit of a flirtatious phone line relationship with Stevie. She hears his death and tries to get a hold of the sheriff, but the fog takes down the phone and power lines. Working off a generator, Stevie starts monitoring the fog from her lighthouse, telling the town where it's rolling in. Noticing a patch heading towards her house, she gives her address to anyone who's nearby. At the house, Andy's babysitter is taken by the figures in the fog, and he's trapped in his room as they slowly cut through the door. The window shatters and Nick is there. He and Elizabeth get the boy in their truck and drive off. They make it to the church just as a confused Kathy and Sandy also arrive. Everyone barricades themselves in a back room of the church, but the fog and the figures are gradually forcing their way inside. Father Malone discovers a cross made of gold and, realizing it's made from the money from the Dane, goes into the main room to sacrifice himself to the ghosts and return what was stolen. They take the cross and disappear, leaving him alive. As the sun rises and the air clears, everyone who's alive is happy to be so, except Malone, who doesn't understand why the ghost didn't claim their sixth victim. After the others exit the church and he's left alone, the crew of the Danes suddenly reappear and cut the priest down. So, Evie, do you recommend this movie? Yes, I do. This is not John Carpenter's best work, but his so-so work is basically some other director's best fucking work. (laughs) The script is okay, but the actors and the performances elevate the material, and the practical effects for the fog still scare the shit out of me. But that that's just creepy, and I will never be able to go into the fog again. There's stuff that really does not work, but I was just so into the movie that things that may not have worked for me had I been bored, I'd be nitpicking. But it's enjoyable enough for me that I overlook some of the weaker story elements. Dana, do you recommend this movie? I actually don't recommend this movie. Okay. Unless you really love Jamie Lee Curtis or John Carpenter. And even then it's kind of, I don't know. I just, I felt that this movie didn't make a lot of sense. I had no connection to the characters and the whole thing felt very predictable. The characters were your typical horror movie characters, the ones that like run upstairs when the killer's chasing them. Like it's completely idiotic and makes no sense. I felt that the ending was anticlimactic and even boring. The special effects may have been brilliant at the time, but I've seen better from the 80s, even from the 70s. It didn't do it for me. The cast was okay, and no one was overly bad, but no one really stood out either. I felt most of the characters were quite flat and unbelievable. So, yeah, unfortunately, I just, it was kind of lame for me. Okay. I do recommend this movie, but with reservation. There's a lot of really good atmosphere. John Carpenter captures a lot of the sense of this murky sense of gloom and doom from the old school, you know, spooky, scary stories and EC comics. But he doesn't really push it far enough. And you can tell that this was a script that they hadn't really fully worked out. There's a lot of good ideas, a good history of the ghosts, a number of great sequences, pretty decent characters, all of which were actually pretty well cast, I should add. But it just, as Dana said, it's ultimately kind of anticlimactic and it never really comes together and it never really breaks away from the old traditions. I mean, the film opens with an old guy telling a ghost story around a campfire and that's about all we get here is just it's, it's a ghost story around a campfire, nothing more. 
granted, it's a film that had a lot of problems. They never finished the script. They had to go back and reshoot like 30 minutes worth of the film. It never fully comes together. It's not bad if you're just looking for something spooky to watch on a Halloween night or something with a couple friends. Then sure, go ahead and give it a try. But it's not one of Carpenter's best. It just, it doesn't hold together. There's some really good stuff in there. But overall, the film, I don't know. So maybe I should say I don't recommend it with reservation. I don't know. It's it's like I'm just right in the middle as to whether or not I should or shouldn't recommend it. I liked it, but I don't really feel like I'm going to need to watch it again in the next two decades. Maybe I'll ultimately say I don't recommend it. Just a bit. It's nothing that people have to hunt down. So let's open the floor to discussion. I agree with you about that the concept of the movie itself is very intriguing mm-hmm. and very interesting. But what actually came out, it was like they had this brilliant idea and then it all went to shit. I think one of the problems is you, know, you, you commented on none of the effects were that good. Well, this was a very low budget movie. This movie was yeah. made for less than a million dollars and it only went over a million because they had to go back and reshoot a bunch of stuff. And even then it only just barely edged over. You have this whole thing that would be great to explore as an outside force attacking a small town But because of the budget, you don't really get to explore enough of the town to really have that impact. It's more just a couple of characters scattered around here and there. So the whole idea of the town of the past trying to come back and haunt the town of the present just doesn't really work. Well, it's like those old ghost stories, exactly what you were saying. I mean, exactly what they started off the movie with. Yeah. It can be so scary in thought, but I think how they actually produced it, it didn't actually feel scary for me. Like, the menacing fog was menacing. Yes. <laughs> but when they started coming out with the figures, like when you actually started seeing the people, that's when it's like, okay, this is not scary anymore. Yeah, and a lot of that was the stuff that was added in reshoots. Mostly it was just fog originally, and then they went and added a whole bunch of the shots of the figures, of all the stabbings. And... I would have rathered it just be mm-hmm. fog. You weren't supposed to see the figures until the you end. you don't yeah. see what's actually killing these people. I'll save some of this for later, but I did read the novelization, which was based on the original shot version. (laughs) So, I mean, there's like entire chunks of this movie that aren't in that book because this Mm. was written before the reshoots. I think ultimately it's like a 20 minute short film that's kind of been stretched out. They don't have enough story there to really sustain it. I disagree. And Evie, you've been quiet here. Why don't you take the floor? (laughs) She has been very quiet. (laughs) Well, because you guys are just like, you don't think it works. I didn't mind seeing the figures because they're not lingering shots on the figures. When you get to them in the end, they're just like these fucked up things that are attacking people, but you don't really get full shots of them. Like you get someone knocking on a door with that hook that they're holding or whatever, or you get a shot of the eyes. See, I had no problem with that. I had no problem with the knocking on the door with the hooks and stuff. It's seeing the actual figures themselves, like, kill people that I just kind of like, um, Yeah, I think the only time you really see it clearly in the light is that one time when uh, Stevie's up on the roof and she kicks one of them in the head or something. You get a shot of the figures I mean, they're always uh, usually the backlit in silhouette. Yeah, with the with the. No, but you get a good shot of their eyes on the boat at the very beginning on the With the glowing red? Seagrass, that's what it was. Yeah, but that's still that's still not like the light is full on their face. That's just their eyes are glowing. But even when they're attacking Stevie, you don't really get to see them except for that one shot where she like hits one of them with the hook. I think my big problem is it feels like a slasher film. It's not even a particularly exciting slasher film. It's like they try to take this this ghost stuff and by putting in all those bits, it's just it's Let's just throw in some empty stabbing just for the sake of it. And it just, I don't think it detracts. It just doesn't really particularly add anything. Yeah. But I mean, like bringing in Halloween, for instance, like how he filmed that, like it wasn't necessarily a slasher film. It was scary because you get this creepy guy. Yeah. And I really like that aspect. I think that it's a little more frightening because it's not showing the blood, guts and gore because then people have to look away and you're not actually getting scared. It's just I don't want to look at that because it's disgusting. Right. And then my other main problem is some of the eeriest stuff, like, you know, the entire opening sequence where electronics are coming on and off and car horns are honking. And then like the bit where the corpse gets up in the morgue. It's really eerily shot stuff and has a lot of good atmosphere, but what does that have to do with anything? Exactly. If the creatures are coming in with the fog, why is all the stuff in the town going off when the fog isn't there? And what is with the dead guy waking up for like two seconds and then going down and like nothing else coming of it at all? 
Well, I took all this crazy shit happening before as the spirits basically fucking with people before they even show up. Mm. I just assumed that's what it was, is that they're just playing with them like the night before they show up. This is just them playing with them, basically. Yeah, like because they seem like okay. a mischievous bunch. Well, because they're going to go and kill six people, so, you know. you got to screw with their heads first. Yeah. It's basically <laughs> just kind of putting them off. I get why they did it. I, like, I, I get why they had, like, the creepy stuff going on, like the window smashing and this and the other thing. But just how they did it without the appearance of the fog in the town right, when it was happening. They didn't tie it into anything. They didn't, no. And, and two, they were talking about, oh, the witching hour between midnight and one. And isn't the witching hour actually between two and three? <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, like, isn't that where the dead's supposed to rise and all shit goes loose? Because everything in history that has ever creepily happened usually happens between the hour of two and three. Yes, but midnight, well, but it's time so zone. much more foreboding. Yeah, and plus it's so much more foreboding to be <laughs> oh, they're in, they're in a different time zone. <laughs> Actually, they're, they're in our time zone, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's much more foreboding midnight as opposed to two and three. Yeah, I mean, that, that's where you get the old campfire ghost stories. It was right after midnight in the witching hour. You know, it's, it's not supposed to be accurate. It's a ghost story. But well, still. That and with the, um, felt cheap. Yeah. I totally buy that because I've had enough ghost stories told about, you know, midnight and the witching hour and the dead rising, and it's always around midnight. But the fact that it looks like a slasher is specifically because they went back and shot things so that it would be able to compete with the slasher movies. Because yeah. 1980 is the year we got the first Friday the 13th. That's not just the stuff that they added. I'm, I mean, I should say that's not the only stuff they added. All the stuff that we just mentioned, the whole opening sequence of all the machines going crazy and everything, and then mm -hmm. the, the corpse waking up in the mortuary, the entire morgue scene, in fact, those were added in reshoots too, just mm -hmm. so they could have more shit happening. I mean, originally it was more like Halloween of just this very slow build, and then everything happens in the last half hour. See, I actually quite enjoyed Halloween. Like, I watched it because I remember you guys doing the podcast, and mm -hmm. I we actually sat down and watched it on Halloween. Saturday before mm -hmm. Halloween. <laughs> no, we watched I, it on Halloween. Or no, wait, it was, yeah, it that's was, right. It yeah, was it was the right Saturday before. before. And so we sat down and watched it, and that was actually the first time I had actually sat down and focused and watched Halloween from beginning to end. Um, Why you jump at all this, the musical I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh, I really enjoyed it. And I've seen the second Rob Zombie movie. You haven't seen the first one? No. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, wow. don't judge the first one based on the second one. That's unfair. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I liked how they did Halloween, though. I, I mm -hmm. really enjoyed it. I felt that the structure of the film and that it was more of a thriller. And I think that with this movie, John Carpenter tried to move away from what he actually was really good at. And the presence that he was able to convey in his films, he lost that with this one completely. He was like, oh, try and compete with Friday the 13th. But no, you weren't Friday the 13th. You were so good at what you were doing. Don't change it. And, uh, and this is something he also did in Assault on Precinct 13. I know you're not a big fan of John Carpenter's The Thing, but, you know, that was another one where he tried to do a slow boil. Yeah, I think there's, there's few people that could actually pull it off. And I think that most of John Carpenter's stuff he can. And I think he had a good thing going. And I think he should have stuck with that with this one. Well, I mean, this is, these, these reshoots are something that he did himself. It wasn't something that the studio forced on him. It was yeah. he went and looked at the cut and said, it's not working. What can we do to fix it? I would love to see the original cut. I mean, reading it on paper, it's boring as shit. <laughs> I could hardly get through that book. Because nothing happens. Nothing happens until like the last 20 minutes. But, you know, with Carpenter's films, you know, Halloween was kind of the same way. The novelization of that was boring as hell, too. But if you're just getting it on paper, you're not getting that cinematography. You're not getting the music. You're yeah. not getting the atmosphere. You're not getting the cast. So I would love to have seen what his original cut was like so I can compare it with what we finally got. I'm not saying that his original version would have been better because he admitted it didn't work well there either. I think it needed to be tweaked. I can understand they're trying to spice things up, but it, it's they're not quite spicing up the right things because there's still things that aren't gelling, things that aren't pulling together. Again, they had to compete with slasher movies that were like... It, it, Friday the 13th is honestly... But it wasn't a slasher movie, though. Yes, it shouldn't but that's, have been. But that's what they had to compete with, which is why they have cars and alarms and things going off, because there's nothing happening uh, during that Evie. movie. Uh, Friday the 13th didn't come out until four months after this. Yeah, but they would have known it was coming. Yeah. 
four months. You have you have trailers. They, yeah, they, they would have they, known what was coming. No, and not, not back then. They didn't have ad campaigns that go back as far as we do. And were Friday they, the Thirteenth was a low budget film too. That no one was expecting that to be a huge monster. No, but they would have at least <laughs> heard of <Monster>. that. <laughs> Yeah, but look at Carpenter. He probably would have been like, oh, he's ripping off my Halloween. Why would I want anything to do with that? Well, if they're... I don't think that Friday the 13th... I think it was just they felt the film was boring and they tried to spice it up and they ended up going a little too far in the other direction. Yeah. And I think it was just... This was a product of the fact that there was a a lot of slasher movies and they were just trying to compete with that because nothing happening for a really long time is not going to hold people's interest. And if that's what you have to compete, and if you have to compete with slashers... I think if people... you take the violence out, this this could just be a TV movie. I mean, it's a well-shot TV movie, but it's still, there's so little happening. And yeah, in order to make it like a big-budget R-rated release horror film, they had to put some stuff in it. I just don't know entirely if that was the right choice, but then again, I can't say it was the wrong choice because I didn't see what it was like without it. It's a tough film. It's it's either way. It's just it's not quite working. I concur. Honestly, though, it like I said, it wasn't John Carpenter's best, but his so-so is literally like Brett Ratner over the top, fantastic. Oh yeah, I'm not saying it's a bad movie. It's not horrible. You're not going to feel like you wasted a night watching it. But I just don't really know if there's any reason to watch it. Well, it was Dana, just kind of like a it's a midline me. mediocre movie. Well, Dana, the way that you had said it where people are stupid and running up the stairs instead of out the front door, back then that still wouldn't have been a cliche. We've since made it a cliche. Yeah, true enough. I, I, so I back agree then, with that. Uh, back then, yeah, you're still developing well, plus that when character. Plus, ha- when your entire house is surrounded by fog, where else are you going to run? Yeah. It's like the happening and try to outrun <laughs> the breeze. I'm like, yes, <laughs> yes, do that. Yeah, I mean, and then like you get to the end where, yeah, she is literally climbing the lighthouse to mm-hmm. get away from something because there's literally nowhere else she can go. Again, something they added in reshoots. I it, guess, I mean, you do you do have to kind of take that bias into consideration because, I mean, we are now in 2011. We're watching something from 1980. And all those movies that we were subjected to through the years and the characters and the built-up stereotypes and whatnot, we have to somehow try and erase that, but it's hard to. Well, plus we have the self-referential scream going, the girl with the big tits running up the stairs instead of out the front door. Which Sydney herself then does after making fun of that. Well, I think that was the point. You're going to go to where the nearest room is. And if the nearest thing to you is the stairs, you're going to go up the stairs because there's places you can barricade yourself. Now, Dana, what you had said about the, I, she, she brought up the, if someone, you know, told her that there was some killer thing that like the fog was trying to kill people that she'd believe them. And I'm like, I would not. I would assume that they were high as a kite. Right. It's like, right. Killer fog. Okay. Well, I think it depends on the character. Like you have like the old lady and her assistant in the car. They obviously didn't really believe things until things happened. But Nick and Elizabeth, they've seen things happen. They had all their windows shatter out. They had that weird incident of the thing knocking at night. They saw the ship with all the friends dead and all that stuff. They know that something's going on and they'll be like, the fog, that's it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, mean, get someone like Crazy Bob telling you, oh, my God, the fog is going to kill us all. Oh, it's the fog. You're not going to believe him. You're going to be like, yeah, go have some more, buddy. But it's not Crazy Bob. It's it's Stevie Wayne, you know. But again, I would have just assumed that she's off her rocker. Well, but then again, what I liked is they did it gradually. It was she noticed mm -hmm. something was wrong. So she's like, can the sheriff please call me at so and so such? Then the phone line goes down. Then it's my son is in danger. Can you please go to the house and get him? Then, as things escalated, she was like, it's the fog. Stay away from the fog. The fog will kill you. The fog. Get out now. (laughs) Which, again, you might... At least she does use the fact that she's in the lighthouse to her advantage. Yes. But I think this is also where the film is really lacking in that you still don't get that broader town response. Mm -hmm. It's still limited to this cast of, like, seven or eight people. Well, again, I would point out, like, in Halloween, where Lori, like, runs to people. But this isn't a single guy stalking a single person. This is a threat that's on the entire town. You're not seeing the entire town react to it. You're not seeing the entire town fall victim to it, like you should be. The whole town is just made up of assholes. Well, technically, the fog is actually only going after six people who were descendants of the assholes that burnt down the ship in the first place. Not necessarily. It's just trying to get whatever six it can get. Yeah, it's not specific. It's in, it's in yeah. Because it only kills six people, and once it takes right. six person, I got really done. confused about that because I know that they were talking about there were there were the six town founders. 
Yeah. In, yeah. The, in, in the later one, it's four. In this one, it's six. And it's trying to get, you know, six for six. Yeah. Yeah. But, it doesn't but care which I was six. confused, though. I, I thought that they were actually going after descendants. Well, some of, of the people were descendants and some of the people weren't. Like, why were they trying to kill I Andy? I think that's why I got confused. You know, were all three people on that fishing boat descendants of those six town founders? It was just those were the first six people they could get at. Yeah, it's just like if we get someone who happens to be related to the founder, yay. If we don't, oh well. Yeah. It's they'll take what they can get kind of deal. Yeah, I mean, I think that was something that maybe they could have worked out a little more too. I don't it know that they entirely need to. But, right. It just didn't. I mean, like, I don't think sense. Dan, the weatherman, had any relations to that town. You know. No. no. He was just there. A horny bastard. By the way, named after Dan O'Bannon, the famous screenwriter. Hey, Nick Castle, come on. Nick Castle. I thought that was awesome. The entire time I'm like, Nick Castle. I, I was singing it to the tune of Max Power. Yeah, it's always fun when, because, you know, in the last one we had the sheriff was named after Lee Brackett and the, mm-hmm. the, the doctor was named Loomis after various people that John Carpenter's worked with. And here we got Dan O'Bannon, who co-wrote Dark Star, which was the very first film John Carpenter ever made. And then Nick Castle, who's been working with him on a number of things. And then didn't we really have tell. a Tommy? Didn't we have a Tommy Wallace too? Was Tommy Wallace in Halloween, or was there a Tommy Wallace here? I think there was a Tommy Wallace here. Well, he w- no, he was the uh, editor and art designer and the sound guy who eventually, I think, went on to direct. Oh one yeah, of that's the Tommy Hall- Lee Wallace. Yeah. Well, Tommy Lee Wallace, Tommy Wallace. Yeah, no, Same but I, I was there a character named Tommy Wallace? I think there might have been. Okay. Actually, I think they, I think the dude with his eyes gouged out. I think that was Tommy Wallace. Oh, okay. The character, the character yeah. name. And then yeah, I know Tommy Lee Wallace also played, like, the arms that were poking through the windows. But you can really tell that John Carpenter, he likes certain actors to reappear in his films. Or he just knows people with great names that he likes to <laughs> exploit. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, like, you look at The Fog, and mm-hmm. then you look at Halloween, and how many of those actors are the same? Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. There's Jamie Lee that's Curtis. It. No, there's Nancy and, Loomis. And, yeah, oh, that's right. And that's why I laughed. I laughed. I'm like, oh, and yes. Dan O'Bannon, the weatherman, was Sheriff Brackett from okay. Halloween, who was also the federal transport marshal from Assault on Precinct 13. Booyah. Same actor. And I don't know if you guys noticed on the fishing boat, Crazy Steve from Village of the Damned. Really? The drunk janitor guy. Yeah. Oh, Crazy Steve is my hero. Yeah, he was the gristle old fishing boat guy. I love you, Crazy Steve. Okay, when they're on the fishing boat and you get that fog that just comes out of the over the horizon, all of a sudden I'm mm-hmm. like, I may have wet my pants a little bit. Oh, the fog effects I thought were very nice. Yeah, when they get to putting the lights in there, it looks hokey. I, I give there's it, a few yeah. bits, yeah, where she's like looking out of the lighthouse and it looks a little bit like a matte overlay, mm-hmm. but it still and mostly it works. Looks like it's phosphorescent. Yeah. It's radioactive fog. Yeah, I mean Dean Cundy, the guy who shot this movie. Uh, he did a lot of the cinematography for a lot of Spielberg's films. He's won a bunch of Oscars. He knows how to shoot things. And yeah. the fog was really well shot. Every, the entire film was pretty well shot. Yeah. There's so much of that where, like, I assume it's practical effects for the fog. And just the way that it pours in is terrifying. Mm-hmm. And I'm someone who, having driven to work in the early morning and, like, in the winter here, you get, like, a crap load of fog a lot. Mm-hmm. And you can basically see a foot in front of you. And it's so terrifying. And watching this, I'm just like, oh, God, hold me. I have a question. Mm-hmm. What's a stomach pounder? I assume it's some kind of hamburger. Okay. I'm like, what the hell is a I stomach just, pounder? I just assume it's some kind of, like, crazy-ass hamburger. That's okay. That's Probably. the point where Dustin punched me in the stomach and was like, that's a stomach pounder. <gasps> no, you know what I bet it is? I bet it's, like, the 80s version of the Double Down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah see right yes but it's a fishing town so it's done with two uh two slices of bass exactly <laughs> deep fried deep fried you got deep a deep fried bass fry yeah with some chips in the middle yes and, a ha- and hamburger meat and like and tartar sauce yeah and like three <laughs> different types of cheese and a pickle a deep fried pickle well the entire On thing the- is pickled before it's fried yeah and then you deep fry the whole thing again and then you yeah. immediately die from a heart attack after you finish watching it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but yet another film where a carpenter couldn't kill the kid. Um, that, what, they he, actually told him not allowed? Or? No, well, it's kid, in Assault on Precinct bad, 13, he killed not, the kid. Yeah. <laughs> what was it that, like, in the 80s, suddenly you couldn't kill the damn kid? Well, I think Assault on Precinct 13 shocked everyone, and Jaws kind of came out around the same time and, like, shocked everyone, and we're like, we can't do that anymore. <laughs> See, now it when happens they kill every kids, now and then, it's yeah. just done rarely. 
Yeah, because I'm like, look, that kid wasn't great. Yeah. He wasn't anything that I... He, he, he wasn't particularly like, memorable. So. Yeah, he's pretty much like any kid that I may have babysat that I was like, oh my God, whatever, kid. Who's going to take a piece of rotten old driftwood that you just take off the beach and drop it right on your mother's bed? Me. I would. Yeah. We're weird kids who live near beaches. We're and like, I don't get no. why she brought it to work with her. You know what? Maybe she was just going to put it up there because she thought it looked cool in the uh, lighthouse. I would have hung it in, in the lighthouse. Yeah, I'd put it up in the well, desk. Wouldn't she hang it somewhere where he could see it since he was the one who found it? Well, he sometimes goes to work with her. Yeah, so it'd be like, look, the thing that you found, I put it up at work. So it's like you're with me at work. Because when... didn't in that one as well, like, didn't she have drawings of his on the wall? Uh, no. no, not in that one. Well, we never saw anything on the wall, so... No. She may I or thought, be... The wall didn't no, catch thought, fire in this one. I thought one. maybe not on the wall, but not on the wall, but or on her desk or something like that, but I distinctly remember seeing drawings of his. Well, yeah, that was in the remake. In, yeah, you're thinking well, of the remake. Well, I know it was in the remake. Because they burned the scale. I know scale. it was in the remake. Yeah, because they burned. But I, I thought that they were also in the original as well. I just watched it today, and I don't remember them, but... Uh, I watched it yesterday, and I thought I saw them. Uh, well, I wasn't paying that much attention to what was on her desk and whatnot, so. I can't remember. Maybe it was in his room. And then, of course, the uh, six will die, you know. That, okay. Is that the voice of Satan? Because that sounded like the voice of Satan. In the book, it was more clear what it was that she was hearing, but. She was hearing the voice of Satan. That's what she was no, hearing. No, no. She was actually hearing the voices of what happened when the ship hit the rocks hmm. and was going down. I think they just distorted it and made it more generic creepy sounds. Yeah, because that was just, that that voice is scary. That water effect that they used where the water just starts leaking out oh of it. Oh my god, that was actually kind of creepy. I really yeah, yeah. right? Oh. That was like my favorite part where it's like creeping out of that sign. I like and how the, the entire buildup of the scene is you're just listening to these happy, cheery promos. Mm -hmm. uh, and then suddenly it starts to go from the happy, cheery to, you know, all distorted down yeah. as the water's leaking. It was a good scene. And then, of course, as soon as she extinguishes say. it, everything's fine and magical and everything goes right like, back up. What the heck yeah. did I just take? What would have been great is like a nice outside shot of Lighthouse as just she pitches that thing out over the side. And like, that's it! Yeah, I think at that point I made the note of, okay, creepy piece of wood is creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but then I love how she calls the sun and goes, stay off the beach. Now, this was actually yeah. a deleted scene that they weren't able to film at all, but he actually did ignore that and go down to the beach. And then there's this whole bit where he gets caught in the fog and he's lighting his way with a Polaroid camera. And then, like, later we see the shots of what he found filmed on the Polaroid camera. Is it wrong that I'm glad they couldn't film that? It, well, yeah. And I think yeah, there are budgetary reasons really and stuff like that. Yeah, I really care that I actually had more notes for like the first part of the film than I did for the last where shit just basically gets real. I only had like five notes for when shit actually gets real. And then I was kind of like, really? That was it? Can we talk about Jamie Lee Curtis? Let's talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. Okay. <laughs> Her mom is also in this movie. I know. I was laughing because it was funny because like I was watching like the beginning credits and I'm like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, yeah. And then I'm like, Janet Lee. And I actually love how in the behind the scenes, they're constantly like, it was like the first time someone wanted us to do a movie together where we aren't playing mother and daughter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and then they do it again in Halloween H2O. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot that she was in H2O. Yeah. Yeah. She has like a little bit part in H2O. It's mm -hmm. awesome. But yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis, I mean, she made a good first impression. She was good presence, good performance, but there's really nothing for her character there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, her character actually didn't make sense. She hooks I, up I with Nick and then awesome. just tags along. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, okay, like the body language as well. He picked you up on the side of the road. You slept together. And now you're all like boyfriend, girlfriend. And we're what falling the in love up? over these horrors befalling the town. I never yeah. got that they were falling in love. I got that they were just kind of hanging out until she can get a ride out. Yeah, that was in a little bit. They no, deleted. It was too touchy feely <laughs> for me. Really? Yeah, I felt that their connection was too strong for just meeting. She should have, like, literally gotten so freaked out by everything that she starts to hitch her way out of town and then mm -hmm. gets killed in, in the climax. You can't kill Jamie Lee Curtis. She survived Michael Myers. I get what you guys are saying about Elizabeth and the fact that, you know, she hooks up with Nick. I never saw it as a very lovey-dovey relationship. It's more, she's been hitchhiking for a few weeks now, so she's sort of just, like, found a guy that has a house that she can sleep in and is just like, okay, well, hang out with And he's a weirdo. He's not that weird. He's charmingly weird. 
And so she just kind of sticks around until she can get a ride out. I don't think that she's suddenly, you know, I'm so in love with him and I'm going to stay here forever as and ever. She's just being a 20-year-old girl. Yeah. But I don't know. It was just there was moments where it was just that kind of like touchy-feely kind of thing. Again, this feels like a part where they didn't fully work out the script in terms of what they wanted to do with these characters, in terms of how they wanted to handle them. Because sometimes it felt like, yeah, they're really bonding, and other times like, oh, it's just, you know, they're together because Mm -hmm. the scene requires them to be. I don't think the script was done. I don't think they had a done script for this movie. Fair enough. So what do we think about Tom Atkins as Nick? He's an everyman. Yeah. Yeah. He's not anything special, but nor is he supposed to be. Yeah, he is. He's he's not studly. He didn't bug me. There we go. I think that's the highest compliment you could pay him, Dana. <laughs> he's kind of got that good dashing heroism, but not in like a ridiculous studly way. Yeah. He's a good guy. He's that awkward good looking. Yeah. He kind of is like representing the town. Mm-hmm. But again, we don't get to see any more of the town. So we're just with this guy as he's just kind of going around all over the place. It's like the entire town is like in this guy and he's representing every point of view. And it just, it feels a little strained, a little forced at times how he's always involved with everything. I think a lot of that too is the budgetary restrictions that they probably, if they but then had... you shouldn't have done a story involving a small town if you can't afford to get a town. Well, maybe they were hoping they'd get more money and they didn't, at which point they're like, well, we'll do what we can. That would have been better to use that extra $300,000 for the reshoots for. Yes, but they needed to make it gorier and stuff. No, they didn't. No. They really didn't, but they got an R for whatever. I'm like, this didn't need to be an R rated film. There's no real sex, there's no nudity, there's no particular profanity of any kind. I mean, this could have been a PG movie. There's no reason why this shouldn't have been a PG movie. So I don't understand why they felt they needed to add a bunch of gore. I mean, yeah, you're saying to compete with the slasher. Mostly because if you have an R movie, you're more likely to get more people going to it because they think it's going to be... I actually know R movies do less business. I think it's the connotation that goes with an R-rated movie. R movies do less business because you're saying a a major chunk of the audience can't go. Teenagers can't get into R movies on their own. No, but they sneak in anyway. Yeah. Sometimes. They they won't buy tickets. Depends on the theater. But I think the thing is they were trying to very much say that it's not like a family-friendly kind of movie. I, I don't But I don't know. know why they would do that. I mean, you have a kid as one of the main characters. It's not particularly any scarier than a Goosebumps storyline. Oh, dear God. Oh, oh, I totally got to make this reference. I'm sorry. Go, Dana, go! <laughs> okay, my first reaction to this movie, like right at the beginning even, With and the then it stories? just kind of escalated from there. No, 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 it was from... I made this connection. It basically brought me back to this episode of this show called Are You Afraid of the Dark? Mm-hmm. It was this Canadian TV series that basically used to tell campfire stories and scared the shit out of me. Yeah, it was a huge um, classic down here in America, yeah, too. There was this one episode about these pirates, these dead pirates, mm-hmm. and basically this dude had their gold, and these kids broke in and stole something, and the pirates basically were trying to kill them. Now you know where they ripped it off from. And this movie brought back so much memories of that and i basically referred to the leper ghosts as zombie ghost pirates because of it mm-hmm. and evie kept yelling at me constantly yeah, yeah are you afraid of the dark and he... goosebumps were really popular here around the same time and like eerie indiana and stuff like that oh eerie indiana i loved eerie indiana oh i, I got the dvd set my problem with goosebumps is that it would always kind of end on a laugh whereas goosebumps was a little more tongue-in-cheek are you afraid yeah. of the dark was a little more serious <laughs> Yeah, it's like the zombie ghost pirates episode. The first time I saw it was actually they ran it on Halloween and afterwards mm-hmm. I couldn't sleep. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I, couldn't I, I mean, when you have either. like the entire opening of your film is children gathering around a campfire. Why don't you try to make it a horror film that you can bring the kids to and they can you know, gleefully get spooked out over it by, you know? Maybe in the 80s, people didn't take their kids to horror well, this, movies. This would have been made late 70s. It was delayed because of the reshoots. It was supposed to come out in 79. But remember, the whole 80s slasher movement thing was still a couple years away from happening or from blowing up into what it became. So that is kind of what turned the stigma of horror. But even after that, you got stuff like Poltergeist, stuff like Gremlins, <laughs> which were supposed to be horror movies you could take the kids to. It traumatized the hell out of some of them, but still. I don't understand the idea of let's punch this up as an R-rated film when this could have been a PG movie and released to a much wider audience. I don't know entirely that kids would have sat through the entire thing because the first hour is kind of slow. Well, maybe they were just trying to make it cool. 
they wanted to play with the cool kids. And yeah, but when you try to be cool, be... that's usually how you end up not being. Well, we can address what happens when you make a PG horror movie, and then we'll, we'll see where that... Fine, Poltergeist. No, I mean, well, I didn't like Poltergeist. I thought it was kind of funny. I, I didn't I... thought it was scary. It was it was I a did. success, and it, it scared the hell out of a lot of kids. Especially it that clown puppet. scared the hell puppet. out of me. Well, why don't we talk about Kathy and her assistant, Sandy, played by uh, Janet Lee and Nancy Loomis. I love Janet Lee. I don't know how either of you feel about the Kathy Williams character, but Janet Lee fucking makes this character. You yes. could th- this could have been a throwaway character that means absolutely nothing, that is just some bitch, but Janet Lee makes that character. And the fact like when she goes to see the priest, who's I love that he's a drunk and it's established from the beginning. Yeah, and he's release revealing the entire town history and she's yeah. like, Well, let's just pretend that didn't happen. Yeah, she's like, Well, we can't do anything about it now. Because so we did all this work. But you do still have that emotional grounding of she just lost her husband in the opening scene, too. Exactly. Which I think gives that scene on the fishing boat some consequence of you see that, oh, these are the family members that are left behind now. Mm-hmm. Which I always appreciate when a horror film does, because it gives a sense of genuine weight to what you're seeing. So it's not just exploitation kills. And she doesn't even have a body, so she doesn't even know what happened to her husband. She doesn't know if he's yeah. dead, if he disappeared in the water. He's just gone. I almost feel like this movie was written around her and then you added other characters in after just to flesh it out. But she really does have the strongest story going on in the movie. And and I like Nancy Loomis as Sandy. I thought the two of them play off each other really well. Like I think the entire Mm -hmm. thing. Oh, yeah. Why is it that when you say yes, ma'am, it sounds like you're saying screw you. Yes, 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 (laughs) ma'am. A little bit of a tangent, but Halloween 3 then, it's interesting that it stars Tom Atkins, Nancy Loomis pops up in it, Tommy Lee Wallace, who was heavily involved in this thing, was the guy who wrote and directed that. It's kind of interesting how you get this little family around. You get this family of recurring people around John Carpenter for at least a stretch of years. A lot of directors kind of have those actors that they like to frequently use in their films. Like you look at Tim Burton and Johnny Depp. But John Carpenter didn't do Halloween 3. He only produced it. But then it's interesting that he has production crew that he'll help form their own careers. And then a lot of those casts who work for Carpenter will also then become recurring throughout those other people's films. I just think it's unfair to say that he recycles cast because you wouldn't say something like that. That's not what I Yeah, okay. Because you wouldn't say something like that of Christopher Nolan, for instance. No, not no, at all. it's like when you're in the writing process, you know, you're mentally picturing who you're writing for. And it's just easy to be like, hey, you know, I think Tom would be great for this role. Let, let's write it how he would deliver it, you know? Well, too, because, like, you're familiar with how these actors portray certain yeah. characters. And, and their little mannerisms like, and stuff and, like yeah. that. Yeah, and their ability and, and whatnot. So you're just kind of like, oh, okay, so let's mm-hmm. write it like this person would. Like, oh, I saw this actor do this, and oh, I really like that. So let's yeah. write it like this. And then they end up playing the role. Which one of you said it? I think it was Evie. You said that this is almost like Kathy's film. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I entirely agree with that. This is Carpenter not really pulling off an ensemble. Yeah. It's like you have these interesting threads, but again, they don't really ever play off one another all that much until like they're all like in the back room of the church. And even then, it's just everyone's running from stuff. There's no real consequence from their interaction. It's again, he didn't build his town. It's a story about a town, and we never got the town. True that. I just think that right there is the biggest problem with this film. It's still a good film, yeah. but it's lacking what's supposed to be the central focus of it. Anything to add? Uh, Father Malone is the greatest drunk ever. <laughs> yeah. He's unhappy because yeah. he drinks, and he Hal drinks Hallbrook, because he's unhappy. Yeah. Hal Hallbrook, who they had on set for a day. Really? Huh. Yeah, they had to shoot all this stuff in a day. Well, for someone who shot everything in a day, he did a pretty good job. Yeah, apparently he was very insulting of the film in interviews. But he did he did a good job. I think they actually had to drag him back for reshoots too, because on paper, the, the whole scene where he's reading from the diary and telling the whole backstory in the script slash novelization, that happened near the climax when everyone was holed up in the church. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was right. Well, why don't we talk about Adrienne Barbeau as Stevie Wayne? She's I a... thought she had a good radio voice. I would love to host a radio show from a lighthouse. Yeah. I would love to have her voice. Yes. Well, Adrian Barbeau is always awesome. Start drinking whiskey every day. And smoking cigars, I guess. Yeah. She's, honestly, she's not the greatest actress, but... No, no but she's a great persona. She's a great yeah. character. She's mm-hmm. a great person just to watch, you know? She was believable. She like, fit the I role mean, really well. Believable, but it, she fit the role 
there was points where I was kind of like, eh, but I mean, as far as we're comparing to where most of the cast was. Well, but that was, was that through her performance or through the writing? I don't know. I think it was a mix of both. Mm. There were certain dramatic notes that she couldn't quite hit. Mm. Yeah. But I would blame that somewhat also on the director because you're the director. You're supposed to be able to direct people. Well, you also have to remember John Carpenter was married to her at the time. <laughs> so Sam Mendes no. was married to Kate Winslet when he directed her in Revolutionary Road. Anyways, but yeah, I, I like the character of Stevie Wynn. I just think there was more that they could have done with the whole her being able to see the town and being the only one who can tell people what's going on. Yeah. I think there was too much of that distraction of her being chased up on the roof. This whole movie just feels like it's good, but then there's a lot of missed opportunities. It's yeah. like, I wish they had it, done yeah, more I mean, it feels it. like a good first draft. It's a good first draft, but they just, they never quite worked it all out. Yeah. They needed that second edit. It's frustrating in that respect, because you can see that there is a good film in there. There's a lot of good stuff in it, and you can see that this is a film that could have been something really great. It just never quite got there. This is Rob Zombie's Halloween all over again. No, it doesn't have the same problems as Zombie's Halloween. <laughs> zombie's well, Halloween, no, the but... problem was Zombie. Well, Zombie's writing. Well, it was it was Zombie's lack of his own restraint. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch. I only watched the second one. I just listened to our episode. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really recall John Carpenter's music. I mean, I don't it's think... It's very not saying, sparse here. I don't think it was bad. It just kind of came and went. There's moments where it is prominent, but it's that same sound yeah. over and over again that you hear in every John Carpenter film. It didn't have that catchy hook melody that some of his other ones do. I don't know that it needed to, but... Well, the thing is, the music in this movie is fairly sparse, too. Mm -hmm. You don't get that movie. You get some kind of sound effect when the fog is kind of fogging around, <laughs> as I would call it. But The fog yeah, ominence. Like when, when the fog's doing its fog thing, you get like a bit of a sound effect or like a musical sting. But mm -hmm. there's not really that much of a score to this one. It doesn't live up to like the Halloween kind of theme, but the bits that I heard I still liked. So do we have anything else we want to say about the fog? I think, honestly, you guys are right. It's just I recommend it still based because of the fact that I know that it has problems, but I still enjoyed it, despite the fact that there are problems. Because, again, John Carpenter at his meh is still better than a lot of directors at their best. Mm. I'm looking at you, Brett Ratner. <laughs> Suck. I enjoyed the film, too. I agree with you. There's a lot to like about this film. It's just I don't ultimately know that I can recommend it. We can look at it with the context of the time, too, but I don't know if I could drop this in front of my stepbrother and you would enjoy it. It's something that you can probably watch once and you never have to watch it again. Yeah, that's true. And I would recommend watch it in conjunction with other Carpenter stuff so that yeah. you have the context. If you're just watching it by itself, probably not going to get into it. But There's if you, better movies. If you watch Carpenter's other stuff and you want to see this within them, I think that'll give you a lot of good context for the style and the way that it's put together. Just don't expect it to be as strong mm -hmm. as like Halloween or Precinct 13. Or if you're having a Jamie Lee Curtis marathon. Mm. Oh, one thing I forgot to mention is that this was filmed in the same town that he filmed Village of the Damned in. Really? Yeah, actually. Makes uh, sense. <gasps> that's He bought why. a house there when he did The Fog, and that's why he brought Village of the Damned back there. I didn't notice I it at all. I get it now. I did. Actually, it was funny because like I was watching it and I'm like, I know that place. Mm -hmm. Why do I know that place? And and because we saw I it a few months ago. I had going. Well, what have? Where? Why do you recognize this place? And I'm like, I don't know. And I'm like, I think I've seen something where this was filmed, or I've been there, or something. And that's, I guess, what it is. Thank yeah, you. You just saw it a few months ago. So yeah. Sadly, a few years after Village of the Damned, his house burned down, and he hasn't been back since. Oh, yeah. Dana, did you have any final thoughts on The Fog? No, it was more of kind of a meh. It's like Just kind of you like don't an overall really over. need to yeah. see it. but If you're doing a John Carpenter marathon, you can throw it in there. Yeah, why not? So I think our resounding recommendation is meh. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty flatline, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You're not going to hate it. but Yeah, you know. you're not going to feel the need to revisit it ever kind of yeah. thing. Well, I think this is going to bring part one to a close. Thank you for joining us, Dana. No worries, any time. If you want to bring me back, you're more than welcome to. Okay, well, Just we'll be here on part two, which will be coming <laughs> up here soon. Good night, Evie. Good night.
To read show notes for this and every one of our episodes, please visit IHateLoveRemakes.com. The comment sections are open, so let us know what you think about the films discussed. I Hate Love Remakes is in no way affiliated with the copyright holders of the films discussed. All rights are reserved and no infringement is intended. I Hate Love Remakes is a Made of Fail production. Madeoffail.net. We were unpopular before it was cool. singing it to the tune of max power <laughs> name for me two films nick castle directed i don't know dennis the menace and the last starfighter <laughs> don't make fun of those movies, those movies. Yeah, dennis the menace is fun it's got a good john yeah. hughes script last starfighter is a classic yeah. dana you're a horrible person go think about what you've done he also did the boy who can fly which i've never seen but i hear good things about and the boy who can fly can he actually fly i don't know well i think it was about a suicidal teen so yeah that's a little bit depressing yeah you can't kill jamie lee curtis she survived michael myers michael myers survived michael myers (laughs) no he didn't one day i will show you halloween resurrection and you will cry no you won't yes i will you can't make me Yes, I can. I will use no, that. You can't. You really can. I'm gonna get the. I'm gonna oh, make up me, that trust chair. Trust me, from... Dana. It's actually one that y- you'll find hilarious. Yeah. Oh it, no. We'll, we'll it's drink hilarious, shots painful. A... It's not like grown as long painful. as we can. Okay. I I will agree to watch it if we can do it as a drinking game. Oh hell yeah. And, and by a drinking game, I mean like not just say we're gonna do it, but actually do it. Dana, that's the only way I'm watching it again. That's okay. fair. Yeah. <laughs> Take a shot. <laughs> <laughs> 20 minutes of Dana laughing as an outtake. And there's our outtake, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I will say that the fact that, you know, all of a sudden she's hanging around with. Hang on, just Nick. Let, let, let Dana finish laughing so I can get a clean take of you saying what you're saying. <laughs> Dana, just mute your mic and I can make my point. 